I had a spot in southern Illinois, a couple spots. I had spots in uh, the southern part of Kentucky, northern part of Kentucky, Missouri. I kind of make a make the rounds when I'm out scouting. I'll take a big old sachet and make a big circle. And, and uh, I run into that one old boy four different times. Four different times in one day. I was like, come on now. I was in Illinois, run into him. I ran into him twice in Kentucky and once in Missouri. And I thought, now come on. <laughs> I got a tracking device on my truck somewhere. <laughs> Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand, walking in the early dawn to climb Hey, Redbone, did you hear about that new deer feed? What new deer feed? Hey, Buck Grits, boys, you ain't heard of that yet? Buck Grits? BuckGrits.com. Well, tell us about it. What makes it better than any other deer feed? Well, Buck Grits has got the protein a deer needs. It's got the fat a deer needs. It's got the amino acids. It's got the energy. It's got it all, brother. It's going to well, bring them back after the rut, and it's going to put a rack on their head. And it's going to help the lactate and doe, I assume, too, after they have the fawns. That's right. Keep the fawns going and get them for the next crop. Well, where can I get Buck Grits? buckgrits.com you can get a sample you can order it directly from the website and we're coming to a retailer near you if you want to help a deer herd use buck grits wise eye hornady apex amped outdoors buck grits brings you american roots outdoors today this is segment one welcome to the show everybody how are you doing today red bone i'm doing pretty good how's everybody on that end of the line I'm doing good. Summer's back. <laughs> Summer's back. Well, it's still early February. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get the shorts out just yet. It's funny you said that because I just was on the phone with someone. I said I'm back in my t-shirt. I said I'm I'm half tempted to put shorts on if it gets another five degrees warmer out. <laughs> that's just, that's them boys from Cleveland. You know how they are. Alex is going to have me working in his uh, Mallard's cabin today. We're going to be hooking up a heater, and so I'm, I'm sure he's going to. Have that thing going full blast, so I'll need shorts. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty neat little deal that she's got going on there. That's a pretty cool little house. Well, what we're going to try to do, Redbone, is we're going to try to create like a, a video series of live feeds of when we're doing things so people can follow the creation of her little house. Uh, you know, we got a real good buy in the shed sled folks out of Somerville, help deliver it, set it up. And, man, we've got a great view. I can't wait for you and Nina to come down and look at it and see her view looking into that big valley. That's, that's pretty, isn't it, Wayne? It sure is. And, and the sun sets in her front, uh, where her front porch is going to be, uh, directly right in front of it every evening. I, I've been over there a few times, uh, you know, giving Alex a hand in that. And it's, uh, it's beautiful. I mean, I, I got the same view on mine because I love the fact my face is the exact same way right across the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or road, road. I mean, road. The way we, yeah. The way we got it set. We kind of got it angled uh, northeast mm-hmm. and southwest, so she can see the sunrise come up through her kitchen, where her kitchen's going to be, and she can look out her bedroom window and see the sun coming up, and out the other window and watch it set in the evening. It's pretty neat. But anyway, uh, Mallory's got her home, and we're going to be building on it and doing the inside and. It's going to be a fun project. Linda's chopping at the bit, and yeah, I know, I know. Sure is. <laughs> uh, this weather's kind of kept kids out of school and kept people from working. Uh, 
Yeah, it's kind of kept everything down. It's kind of like been a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, the last week has been yeah the the last week has been rough on the school kids. I mean, getting up every morning wondering whether or not they're going to school, and most generally, they haven't been. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, these back dirt roads are just horrible right now. Yeah, coyotes. Let's talk predator hunting. Uh, Trapping season's wrapping up here in Missouri, and uh, people's predator hunting still my. Neighbor Brandon, his dad went out and killed one the other evening, and I went with Brandon and his his son Kelton, and we called in two, but we didn't get them killed. But uh, people's killing predators; they're killing them right now. And we want to encourage all of our listeners all across the country get out and do your part in predator control because we need all the help we can get to try to get these turkey numbers back. You agree, Wayne? Oh, I agree, hundred percent. I mean, um, every night we're hearing them, and if you're hearing them, that's not a good thing. No. Yeah, Alex, you mentioned the turkey numbers. I was reading an article this morning, an uh, article written by Dr. James, you may know this guy, James Kinnamer. Oh, yeah. Uh, he is the retired chief conservation officer for the National Wild Turkey Federation. And uh, he wrote an article on the two major reasons that turkey numbers are down and dwindling. And, and he was talking primarily about the southeast portion of the United States. Uh, and I just took a couple of notes here, and I wanted to run this by you, see what you think. He said the number one reason turkey numbers are down is habitat, especially for the brood. And and, he, and what he goes into in the article, uh, Alex, is that uh, because there are a lot of bans now on burning in the southeast part of the United States, that people aren't burning off their, their woodlands, and that's making it tough for the turkey pulse to find anything to eat when they are hatched, and it also is uh, uh, hurting the, the turkey hens. Uh, so there's that. And he says the other issue, just to be quite frank about it, is we're killing too many turkeys. Uh, he's, you know, and there are some parts of the southeast where you can kill five birds, and they have, as you know, they have turkey seasons that last for you know, three, four, five, six weeks. And he said if we want yeah. the turkey numbers back, in the southeast, and I think that our part of the world probably would be included in that. We're going to have to cut the seasons down and and cut down on the amount of turkeys that are harvested every year. Yeah, I agree 100% with that because, I mean, just because you can, uh, the, the law allows five doesn't mean you should be shooting five. You really got to base your knowledge of your property, your area, mm-hmm. what you should be taking. I mean, yeah, if, and- you, if you know your, your numbers are down, just because it says you can take five, maybe you should only take one. Or maybe you should just take a year off. I know I've talked with my neighbors, uh, Redbone, Wayne, uh, with uh, a very good friend. Uh, he said, Alex, said, we ain't got many turkeys this year. He goes, I don't even think we're going to hunt our farm. And they own thousands of acres right here. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, if I'm not hearing one or two around me, too, I said, I'm not even going to hunt them here. We're going to leave our turkeys alone so we can try to get them back and get the hens bred and get more turkey numbers but uh yeah it's a big concern across the whole uh midwest and southern states with our turkey populations and uh, there's a lot of different organizations out there other than the nwtf there's turkeys forever uh, if y'all haven't heard about that i encourage y'all to research it turkeys forever that's a pretty neat organization then you got young outdoorsmen uh, that's an organization of young hunters that was created here in Southern Missouri, believe it or not. And Mr. Dan Fuller is the creator of that. Yeah, it's a great organization to look at. 
not telling you to leave NWTF, but just let you know there's other organizations. That being said, waterfowl hunting is still going on in some states right now. And we've got a special guest today, Thomas Moore, ARO Team Kentucky. This guy just took his seven boys on a turkey hunt. And, uh, a duck hunt. They was very, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Duck <laughs> you got turkey on I the got brain. Turkey man. on the brain. But a duck hunt, and they hammered them. And what our subject matter is going to be in title of our show is uh, waterfowl hunting with youth hunters and how to get them into hunting and how to mentor them uh, in waterfowl hunting, how to get them started. It's going to be a pretty good show, Wayne. Oh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, uh, I know with our eight kids, you know, we, got, we started them early in that. And uh, now at the point, uh, grandkids. Uh, we just had a granddaughter born yesterday, and uh, hey, I'm looking forward to buying her some uh, camo, and when she's old enough, get her in a duck blind and, and start going. So I'm looking forward to some tips from Thomas on that. All right, well, congratulations on the granddaughter. Yeah, now, now I know why I got gray hair. Apparently, I am now apparently old. Hey, Wayne, <laughs> hey, Wayne, your beard's gray, too. Yeah, I know. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody, you're listening to American Roots Outdoors. We're going to go to a break. We come back. we got Thomas Moore talking on waterfowl hunting, hunting with youth hunters. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more American Roots Outdoors right after this. Hey, y'all, it's Tyler Farr, and you're listening to my good buddy, Mr. Alex Rutledge, on American Roots Outdoors. Wishing on some love. I've been on a big board for a while like a load him in the back. Redbone, what would you say if I could tell you that you could kill a buck on a certain day? I would say you're crazy. There's no way to predict how the bucks are going to move. Well, you're wrong. There's a new camera out called Wise Eye Technologies. These guys can predict the actual deer movement exact time that a deer is going to come through. Really? Wise Eye Technology? This camera has five megapixel pictures, has a GPS system built inside, and it's an experience using this camera. It collects data and tells you the movement, wind direction, everything. On a camera? On a camera. WiseEyeTechnologies.com. And how do I find out more information about these guys? You go to wiseeyesmartcam.com. I'm using them. You should, too. Make your hunt easier. Use Wise Eye. Year after year, got my hunting gear. Apex Ammunition presents. Welcome back to American Roots, segment two of the American Roots Outdoors show. And as promised, we've got another great guest. He's been on here several times, everybody, that's out there across the United States and across the world that's listening, uh, Thomas Moore, ARO Team Kentucky. This guy is a family man, uh, big as this world, and uh, hard worker, and, and got, what, seven boys now, I believe, Wayne. <laughs> oh, I thought he was up to 13. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just seven. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. We've got a great subject matter you're going to love, and you already know what it is. It's waterfowl hunting and uh, hunting with youth hunters. And uh, let's talk about this real quick. Again, this this second seg- segment of the show, talk about you and your family. Tell us about you and your family. Well, me and my boys have been waterfowl hunting. I've waterfowl hunted since I was eight years old. And uh, in, in my opinion, you can't start a kid too young. The, the sooner you get them involved in it, don't force them. You know, if they want to go, let them go. But the sooner you get them involved in it, the sooner you educate them about it, the more they're going to know when they get of age, you know. Mm-hmm. 
So how old, so, uh, you, how old do you start your boy? It depends on the kid. Uh, my two oldest boys, they started going with me when they were about three years old. We'd bundle them up and take them with us. Of course, they didn't get to shoot or anything, but they were there and seeing what was going on. By the time they were five and six years old, though, I had them guns cut down to fit them and had practiced with them in the off-season, shooting skeet and stuff there in the yard where they could where they could shoot a little bit. You know, hey, speaking of cutting your guns down, you know, what what are you what are they shooting at that age? When I every one of them started with a single shot uh, twenty gauge. I cut it down to 19-inch barrel and had it threaded for chokes. And then I took the stock and cut it down to, uh, I don't even remember what the length of pull was. It was really short. It's a small gun. The whole gun ain't probably 26 inches long. Wow. don't seem like it's pretty little. So let me ask you this. These Apex turkey loads, I bet, you know, you've shot them before and you, you, you know all about them. And they're a new partner with us here. I bet you guys are chomping at the bit to bust some more heads with them. I know you busted some ducks uh, and some waterfowl this past weekend on a Kentucky youth hunt. Uh, are you excited about turkey season coming up also? I am. I'm always excited for turkey season. These warm days like we're having right now and the snow melting, that's all I can think about. <laughs> that warm breeze blowing. Reminds you of spring. Ready to put a foot on a head. <laughs> You know, Thomas, I know you, you know, when you waterfowl hunt, uh, I know you've got a place there on your, around your house where you've got a pond. Do you hunt those ducks? I, I know we've talked about this before. Or do you go somewhere else to hunt the ducks? Those ducks are just for educational purposes. You okay. can set, and that's mainly for to help the kids, too. You can watch those ducks. I got about 300 of them on the pond. And you can watch those ducks and what they do and how they act and how they call to one another and, and learn from that. I had a buddy of mine pull up there two days ago, and he said, you got pintails on your pond? I said, no, it's mallards. He said, I didn't know mallards made that sound. I said, you hang out here, you'll learn a lot watching them. I'm telling you, they do, <laughs> do stuff that you don't realize they do. It, now, do on, the, on your pond at home, do you have duck blinds set up for them to you know sit in and kind of get you know observation areas and that? Or how do you, or you just sit back in the truck with the binoculars? Well, no, I've got my, my shop is actually built with an apron where the concrete touches the water. You can stand and fish off the concrete apron of my shop into that pond. And no, I've got about 25 nest, uh, nesting tubes out there for them to nest in come spring of the year. And the rest of the time, you can sit back and watch them out the kitchen window or sit out there in a lawn chair by the shop or whatever and just watch them. Well, Thomas, I'm on my way. <laughs> well, Thomas, we, we just stand up that big holler behind my house. And uh, yeah. I might you to come over and help me set my place up to try to get ducks coming in here. And I've got timber all the way around it, so it'd be a great place for them to live, you know, and I'd never hunt them there. But it'd be good, to, you know, to have a, a setup like you got. Your, your, your pond is actually in their yard, in his yeah. yard. So. Yeah, it's actually in the yard. It's about 35 about 35, 40 yards from my front door is where the pond is. Huh. And when you say pond, you know, I'm picturing one thing in my head, but we're probably talking more of a small lake, right? Probably. I call it a pond, but it's right at an acre. Okay. Now, you stock that pond also in that lake, small lake, with catfish, don't you? Yeah. Don't show up with your Snoopy pole unless you've got spider wire or something in it, because I'm <laughs> telling you, it's a... 
average fish in that pond is about 30 pounds. They got them. He catches them out of the Mississippi, don't you? You bring them and put them in there? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's my fishing is catfishing. I enjoy catfishing. You don't know if he's a pound or if he's a hundred. You don't never know what he's going to be out there in that river. <laughs> Well, that's for sure. Now, do you do you use the opportunity? And, I, and this may be an obvious question. If it is, just call me Captain Obvious. But do you use the opportunity of having ducks right there in your front yard uh, to help teach the kids how to call ducks? Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. That's that's the purpose in really having them there is you can sit and watch them and, and learn from them. You know, and each year, each groups that have been hatched. And I'll have four or five batches each year that hatch. There might be 20 in a wad. There might be 50 in a wad. When it gets really cold outside, they'll all get together, and they'll hang out as one wad. But when it starts warming back up, they hang out in their little family groups. Now, they may all be in the same general vicinity, but if you look, I, I band them. I band all their legs with leg bands with my name and address on them. And that way, if they was to leave, somebody kills one, it'd be cool to know about. And... uh you can look at the color. You can look at the color of the leg bands on their legs because I band a different color every year, so I can keep up with them. Watch them through binoculars. In each group of ducks, as they were hatched as a family group, hang out separately. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's not really? obvious that you're not really into this, then, right? I mean, it's just... <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure everybody bands their own ducks in their yard to keep track of. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> So, so Colin, here's your question. We got about uh, 45 seconds left here. I want you to be thinking about this question when we come back. Then we'll talk about the question I'm asking you. Uh, what is the secret to getting kids involved in the outdoors? I want you to really think about that. And when we come back, I want you to tell our listeners some of the things that you do to get your kids involved. Everybody, you're listening. Okay. Roots outdoors. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more after this. This is Brenda Valentine, and you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. How many of you are tired of your batteries running out of energy, out of power? Let me tell you about Amped Outdoors. I've changed using the batteries I have had in the past. Amped Outdoors, I have the new 80 amp, 24 volt, single battery, weighs 46 pounds. This thing has produced energy all day long. Tested for two days, total use 11 hours. Cannot tell the batteries have even lost any energy. Go to Amped Outdoors if you want to be successful and not run out of power. Hornady Ammunition presents Welcome Back to American Roots Outdoors, segment three of our show. And again, we got great guests, Wayne, uh, Thomas Moore. Man, he, some of the things that he does, Redbone, it just, it's like he's a biologist, even though he hasn't went to college, you know. And he, he's definitely, definitely a gamekeeper, and he believes in conservation and helping the wildlife. It's pretty neat, isn't it, Wayne? Oh, I agree. I'm, I'm curious why he never took in that as an actual, you know, job, you know, going into biology and that, I mean, he's obviously obsessed with it. He probably spoke a lot for other people, helping them set up their houses and their property and that to, you know, expand the uh, the health and the welfare of the duck population. 
It's yeah. just something that I've always loved. My grandmother said when I was little, she thought she would have swore I had feathers growing out of my butt because <laughs> everything revolved around a turkey or a duck when I was a kid. <laughs> well, I hope you don't have feathers growing up out of your out of your derriere there. That would, that would be terrible. All right, but uh, Thomas, Alice, Alice asked a question before you before we went to the break about getting kids involved and, and getting those kids interested. So, I mean, obviously you got seven, and I think all of yours seem to be following right in, in your footsteps. So what is what is the magic uh, there? I mean, what, what makes that happen? I see I guess they see that it's something that I enjoy and how, you know, passionate I am about it and always have been. So I think that's what sparks their interest to start with. And then getting them in, actually them getting involved in what's going on is to show them a good time. Don't force it on them. Keep them comfortable. If they burn out and they're ready to go to the house, take them to the house. Don't, don't force nothing. If you want them to hate it, force them. Otherwise, just let them. It'll come and go. I've had a, most of them are really young, somewhere around three or four when they want to start going with me. But I've had a uh, one of my boys, Hudson, he didn't care anything about hunting. All he wanted to do is fish until he was about six or seven years old. And he just, one duck season, he said, I'm duck hunting this year. I said, well, come on, let's go. You know, and he didn't care a thing about it until he was about six. Hmm. Well, that, I, like that, fun- I like that point you're making there is that you're waiting till the child is ready and you're not making that child ready. Right. You know another. That's thing, right. That's, another thing, if I may interrupt and I apologize, is that you know, think about what he's been telling us in the first two segments of the show. Here he's been on it. You know, he's created a, a lake in front of his house to watch the animals. So he's passing it on through his roots, from his roots to his kids, his passion of what he's doing. So it's kind of like my dad. My dad was a houndsman. And a turkey hunter and deer hunter, he passed it on to me by spending time with my dad with him. You know, I bet your kids don't play very many video games and stuff. They're always outside doing stuff, aren't they? For the most part, they are. My oldest son, he likes to play a video game every now and then. But uh, for the most part, they're outside making a mess doing something. This snow melting and stuff has been an absolute mess this last two days. <laughs> so what all kind of things did you guys do in the snow? Did you build any ramps for them to jump or anything? We, You know, we can't help to, to bring up your big water slide that you make every summer for them. We slid down that same hill right there but uh, we didn't actually have a whole lot of snow it was more sleep than anything this time so we didn't we didn't build anything like that this go around because you couldn't do nothing with it. it was pretty much a solid sheet of ice after that first night but they did they they liked the dark when they wasn't hunting they was sledding now, alex was just talking about video games a second ago now do you let them you know bring like uh electronics in the duck line with them you know, to kind of pass the time away when it's slow, or do you do other stuff in the duck blind to keep them busy? I don't. We usually shoot the bull and just and cut up and carry on and what have you. I just, I'm not one of the parents that gives their kids electronics to babysit them. Me and my wife, even the little bitty boys, they don't get, they don't get electronics. And I mean, they can have them, but they don't get it all the time. You know what I'm saying? A lot of folks mm-hmm. will hand an iPad or an iPhone to your their kid just to hush them up and and basically to babysit them and we don't we don't believe in that you know there's 
so right. many people doing that. Why are guilty of that? Well, no, actually, <laughs> you know, and I was just saying, I know Alex is looking at me right now with that look of my <laughs> Actually, on my kids' stuff, they have a timer. They're only allowed so much time, and then the iPad or their tablet will actually shut off. They can't access anything once they reach that limit that I have to set up. Right. So they've learned over time that when they when they want to play it, it's usually like when we're driving on long trips or something like that. That's when they use it, um, not and they've learned not to rely on it for self entertainment. Because I like to talk to them when we're driving and stuff. So yeah, I want to say it, it, it's good to teach, let your kids play with some electronics because that's where the future is. Uh, we're not totally against that, but we're also uh, for kids spending as much time as they can outdoors because the more your children spend outdoors the more they become an outdoors person and their immune system is even stronger you let your kids outside let them play let them get dirty i'm telling you let them get dirty don't worry about them getting dirty let them adapt to these weathers and stuff and you watch how healthy these kids stay that's a proven fact oh yeah alice and linda are always telling my Go ahead and eat that dirt. It's fine. That's right. <laughs> Don't eat the dog turd. Right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Redbone, uh, I'm sure you remember as a kid, you know, when you went on family trips or outings or whatever, you know, you used to play the, you know, probably at the time, we all played that punch buggy. You know, for those of us old enough to remember that and that. I mean, punch uh, buggy. What is that game? I don't even know. You don't remember that is? Punch buggy. Well, yeah, when you see a bull punch bug. bug. Oh, punch, punch buggy. buggy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We call it slug bug in Kentucky. Slug bug, yeah. Yeah, slug bug. <laughs> well, when we would travel, we would play I spy. You know, you'd say I spy. I spy something blue, and then somebody have to try and figure right. out what it was you spied. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I still yeah. play that with the kids. That's yeah. good stuff. You know, you're, you're sharing some great information with us for our listeners. You know, and man, you're, you're definitely a great example, a father figure. To, to how to get kids started. And the subject matter he's touching on, we got to go to a break, but it's very good stuff, Wayne, Redbone. Yeah, I agree. And, and Redbone, that I spy, me and the kids play that all the time. When we come over to Alex's to, uh, you know, feed in that while he's, like, gone on out of town mm-hmm. or whatever, I always, you know, we're driving, I'd be like, I spy a tree that I like to put my stand in when he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I spy a buck at Alex's feeder that I'd like to shoot. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey everybody, we're gonna go to a break. We'll be back with more American Roots Outdoors right after this. Don't go away. Hey, this is Eddie Salter and you listen to American Roots and Outdoors with Alex Rutgers and Friends. Around your heart, so you never gotta worry what the wind might do. American Turkey hunters, this is Alex Rutledge. Have you heard about Apex Ammunition? If you haven't, they are American owned, American made, made one at a time, hand loaded. These turkey loads will give you the confidence that you need to close the deal on that old hook daddy long beard gobbler. For more information, go to www.apexammunition.com. Grits presents Welcome Back to American Roots Outdoors, segment four of the show. And if you're not a podcast listener, we've got a bonus segment coming up. We encourage you to listen to our podcast bonus segment. 
because we're going to have Thomas on there calling with his calls and even natural voice calls. And Thomas, give give us a quick, uh, give us some duck sounds real quick, and give us some some goose sounds with your natural voice. Let them hear it. I think I refuse to play Dixie Chicks on my radio show. Now I know why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give us something else, Thomas. Give us something funny you can do. Something funny I can do. You got me, man. You got me. Balance the checkbook with seven heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not funny. That's amazing is what that is. We got to do that with eight of ours. That, that was funny every every month. <laughs> Uh, what's something else funny you can do? Well, tell us a story real quick. I, I, here's one. You ever have your kids fight over who's going hunting? Actually get into a fight? No, never. They're precious angels. <laughs> 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 Depending on what it is, the family's so big and they're all getting big enough to shoot now that sometimes I just I can't take them all. And so I've got straws at the house. And I literally make them draw straws for who goes. And hey, Lawson, real quick, how many ducks did you kill with your kids this past weekend? You had a youth hunt somewhere. Let's talk about that real quick. They killed uh, 49, I think, is what they killed this past weekend. And four, four geese, I believe it was. And you're shooting apex uh, waterfall loads. And what, what gauge of shotgun? Oh, you guys shoot? Some of them have stepped up to 10. I've still got a couple that are shooting to 20. We're running low on ammo at the house, so one of them had to step back down to a 20 to have some ammo, but uh, 20s and 12s is what you're shooting. Now, was you hunting on the Mississippi River, that area? I was not. I was hunting on some, uh, it was actually some public ground, some sloughs and uh, some lakes yeah. off of the Mississippi River. That's a testament to your area if your public ground is that good. That's outstanding. 90% of the birds that I've killed in my lifetime have been on public land. That's why I'm kind of secretive about where I go and what I do, and I don't usually post a lot of pictures of what I'm doing until after season is over with, and that's because there are guys that'll kind of follow you around, and then tomorrow you've got to beat them to your spot, and that's aggravating. Yeah, I was gonna say probably you... waiting down the street from your drive there, down the road, waiting for you to pull out so they can follow you with their duck boat and stuff. I've got a tracking device on <laughs> There was about, I guess it was 2012-ish, I guess it was. I had a fellow that, I had a spot in southern Illinois, a couple spots. I had spots in uh, the southern part of Kentucky, northern part of Kentucky, Missouri. I kind of make a 
make the rounds when I'm out scouting. I'll take a big old sachet and make a big circle. And and uh, I run into that one old boy four <laughs> different times. Four different times in one day. I was like, come on now. I was in Illinois running into him. I ran into him twice in Kentucky and once in Missouri. And I thought, now, come on. <laughs> I got a tracking device on my truck somewhere. Yeah, that's that's not a coincidence there. Here's a little bit. Go ahead, Redbone. I was gonna say that's that that's uh that's not a coincidence when you run in the same person in four different states four not. times. Uh, but uh and, and, and that's gotta be pretty discouraging too. I mean you pull up to to go out to your to your duck blind and, and three trucks pull in behind you. I mean that's that's gotta be that's kinda like you know, people following Alex to the turkey woods. Yeah. I've had it that Yeah. Yeah, it is. And like when you have public land like I do for the most part, there's nothing you can do. Other than get up two hours earlier, no, that you beat them there. You know that's all you do. You know what I do, guys? I buy me an old junk beater truck or something right before turkey season that nobody knows. <laughs> or stay well, I'm, I'm, for a few years there, we would never drive my vehicle. We would take a friend's vehicle. I'd make them pull my boat with their truck because of that reason. If my truck was spotted, they'd follow us around. They, they'd, they'd pull up to the truck, they'd listen for shooting, and then they'd get out in a boat and they'd get to riding around, maybe not that day, but the next day. And then by the third day, they were moving in on you. Wow. Mm. That's what they do. So on, best. That's what they do on Mike Plain National Forest out here at Redbone. Yeah. Uh, they'll see the truck park somewhere out of Spaders do. The next thing you know, they're there that evening trying to roost birds. They said, Well, I seen that truck there. I'm going to go ahead and just slip in there too because I know there's birds there. <laughs> They do it a lot. Yeah. Well, it happens during the season. Do your own scouting, people. I mean, I sometimes, sometimes I scout for five to six days before I find something worth hunting. Yeah. And then when I finally hunt, we set up and we have a good hunt. And then some guys following you around, waiting to see your truck or listening to you shoot. And then they're like, you know how many dollars worth of fuel I've got tied up and hours I've got tied <laughs> up driving up and down the road, driving my boat, looking and trying to find these birds? For you to just follow me around, I think. I mean, that's not right, in my opinion. Do your own homework. Figure it out for yourself. It's a lot more rewarding, in my opinion, to figure it out for yourself than it is to follow somebody else's shirt tail. Well, a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth. All right, guys, we're about out of time here for the program today. I think it's been fun today, and maybe people. Uh, you know, learned a little something about getting out. And I know we just got, you know, a little bit of time left in the Missouri uh, duck hunt. And I'm not sure about Arkansas, how much longer it goes on, but uh, here in our immediate area. But get out there and, you know, it's something I've never done. I've never been on a duck hunt. And uh, I've got friends that do, and they, they offer to take me, but, you know, the hours I work. I work the hours that when people duck hunt, so that's kind of a bad deal. But anyway, we need to kind of wrap it up here, Alex. Yeah, and we're going to head to the uh, the bonus segment. If you uh, missed any of today's show, make sure you uh, listen to us on our podcast. You catch the whole show plus a bonus segment. And go to uh, our website. Right, go to a website. You can click right on there. Or, uh, go to any of the uh, podcast carriers. And in the bonus segment today, we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be doing voice calling and some different calling techniques with uh, Thomas and that. And I know uh, we had some uh, good news that we can share today, and that is uh, we ranked now number 11 in Mexico. And I'm sure this uh, this segment here with Thomas and duck hunting, because duck hunting is huge in Mexico. Well, turkey hunting is huge. And uh, so, deer. Yeah, yeah, so they're going to be uh, 
I'm sure we're, we're hopefully our rankings will get even higher than that. But 11 in Mexico, I mean, that's a huge achievement for us, and we're very proud of that. And folks, uh, make sure you tune into the uh, the podcast to hear more of Thomas Moore. You know, if we had a Spanish yeah. version of the show, we might be in the top ten. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening to the show. And Thomas, you as always, you're a great guest. And uh, we're going to have a bonus segment coming up, and our famous saying, Redbone. When your roots run deep and strong. There's no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Wise Eye Technologies presents. Welcome to the bonus segment of American Roots Outdoors, everybody. And again, we got Thomas Moore. He's been a wonderful guest, Redbone and Wayne, and, and uh, he's going to do some calling for us here uh, with his natural voice and give us some tips on calling. Uh, he forgot his calls, his American Roots calls. We got some sample calls. We don't have them on the market yet, but he does have them. But I got a question for you. Uh, you said you spent four or five days driving around trying to find what you're looking for to do a waterfowl hunt. Have you ever used the wise eye cameras that give you real time to set up to try to find birds? And and if you have or if you haven't, how would you go about doing that? And why would you do it? Well, I haven't personally used them to scout for waterfowl because I don't have any private spots that I hunt. I'm pretty much a, a public land hunter. But if yeah. I did, I would most most definitely put wise eye cameras on them to watch. That'd, that'd be one place I wouldn't have to drive by to check on until I knew they were there. You set it up in the cornfield, drive it out, stake out in the corner, the edge of an open hole in the water or pond or wherever the birds, you know, wherever your hole may be, and watch over it and get real-time photos of what's going on. That'd be real helpful. Yeah, it wouldn't be no guesswork, Redbone. Yeah, and and I understand, you know, being a, a public land hunter, uh, you know, you don't want to leave those cameras out there on public land because they would disappear. Well, with the GPS tracking system, you will find them, I promise you. Yeah. Because whenever they turn back on, Wise Eye will know exactly where it's at. Yeah, and, and you could also use those Wise Eyes like uh, for like up north or other areas, like for the wood ducks and that. At the, uh, you know, people, a lot of people, and we did in Ohio, we put wood duck houses, we built wood duck houses along the rivers and creeks uh, to help with the nesting and that. And it would be great, you know, you put your Wise Eye in there and, Check to see how the uh, you know the the females are doing with their nesting and stuff, and I mean, there's so much use that you can use with those wise eyes, not only for deer, for turkey, but also for waterfowl. Hey, I've got something for you too, Thomas. I just thought it was top of my head. We'll try to mention all of our partners uh, on the radio show, and we've got a lot of local partners too uh, that we mentioned. Uh, commercials will be aired out throughout the radio talk show. Uh, have you ever thought about feeding this new butt grits to? the ducks in the off-season there on your property. It's 14 to 16% protein, 11 12% fat. Man, that would help your ducks through the winter if that's legal. Most, most definitely would. Um, I'm not for sure if that's legal in the off-season in the state of Kentucky or not. I'd have to check in on that. I know the ones on the pond, I just feed them whole corn because that's the cheapest way to, to feed them. Well, this, this bug grits would be a lot better for them than whole corn if you ever wanted to feed it you know, they're just up the road from you, about an hour and a half of you. You can go up there and get you some of it. 
I never thought about that. That's a little bit more fat on them through these winter months when they need it. It would help them, yeah. You know, and I know, like, you can't, you know, goose hunt and duck hunt over uh, cornfields and that until, you know, so many days after the corn's been harvested and that. But, you know, what about your, you know, food plots and that with your clover and stuff? Do you find that the, that your ducks and that ever, you know, hit your eagle seed plots or anything? or No, nothing like that. We're, where you find waterfowl in our area is 15 miles from where all my eagle seed plots are. But I will, I will brag on those eagle seed plots. They've been loaded up with deer and turkey. I've been getting pictures left and right since this weather's turned off cold. I've left those beans and beans standing in my chufa, man, and they're wearing it out right now. Oh, I bet. With those weather, they're probably hammering it. You're right. Yeah. we got about two minutes left here, two and a half minutes. Uh, do some voice calling for us again and, and walk us through uh, a morning ritual. Say you're set up in a, a, a blind and you're goose hunting. And all of a sudden, you're going to make the first call. You see some geese. Show us how you kick it off. And a lot of people get too excited too yeah. fast. Okay. And they'll blow them off of you. A lot yeah. of times, you can just be easy with a little cluck, double cluck. I mean, if you see, like a duck on the corners, you see that they're losing interest, then you ramp it up. And then if you see them leaving, it's like a comeback call, you beg. And as soon as you see them, Show interest and break back, and you need off. Go back to clucking. And just get slower and slower until they finish. Now, you, you said that's what you do when you see a flock of ducks coming. What if you see a geese? Or geese, I mean, uh, what do you do if you see a solo coming? Is it the same thing, or, or do you do that, treat that totally different? It's the same thing. You're pretty much talking to them the same, whether there's one or there's a hundred. Okay, it's a lot harder to talk to a hundred than it is one, though. He's easier to convince because you're working with one little brain instead of a hundred. You know what I mean? Right. Did you hear the key word, Redbone Wayne, that he just said? Talk. Right? He didn't say call. He said, I'm talking to them. And that's what I always say about turkey hunting and deer hunting, using deer calls. I talk to the deer. I talk to the turkeys. We talk to them. We don't call to them. We're talking to them. And that comes from uh, experience. And, you know, listen to Thomas Moore. He sleeps, eats, and breathes his love of the outdoors. And you've been, an, again, a wonderful guest, man. Well, thank you for the example of a father that takes his kids and shares the outdoors with them. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, you got any more, you got yeah. any more hunts scheduled for the kids here in the coming days? I mean, what's, what, I mean, we only got just a few seconds here, but what's coming up next for the, for the Thomas Moore clan to get out and kill some more ducks? Well, duck season's over for us. Youth season is okay. the weekend after our normal waterfowl season goes out. So, okay, gotcha. It's officially over for us except for snow goose season. And by this time of year, snow goose season runs on almost into turkey season. So I usually try to shut it down after regular duck season goes out get all my work and stuff caught up the best I can 
to where I can prepare for turkey season coming up. You got to pick your battles, Red Bone. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Real quick question: How many pounds will you lose this coming turkey season taking all seven of your boys? We average seven to fourteen miles a day walking. <laughs> I walk during the during our youth season. I, it's my personal challenge to kill every one of the boys that's old enough to hunt at least one of their birds during the youth season. That way I only have to focus on their second bird during the regular season. And so we'll walk until we'll kill a bird, and then I will I will take one right back to the house. The other one will be sitting with his stuff ready to go. If I think we can get us on some doubles, I'll take two at a time. But for the most part, I'll try to take them one at a time. And as soon as one's killed, I'll take it right back to the house. The other one will be standing on the porch with a gun vest. He'll jump in the truck. We'll go to the next farm, and we'll walk until we kill one. And that's all day long for the, those two days of youth season until everybody's killed a bird. Well, I like how you said you go to the next farm. You're, you're yeah. not over hunting a farm. You're, you have, you're, you're smart. You have multiple farms you can go to so that you're not pressuring or educating these birds. Well, and I have people ask me all the time when I ask permission to hunt, well, don't you hunt on old such and such? Well, yeah, I do. But I've got I've got four kids that are big enough to hunt with me, and if each one of them kills a bird and I kill the bird or we kill two birds apiece, you know, you, you, you've got to have multiple farms to hunt or you'll overhunt it. Yeah. You want Tom to kill next year, you can't kill them all this year. you got to leave some seed. Yeah. I usually try, if I hear four birds gobbling, I'll start my scouting at the end of February, 1st of March, when they start gobbling. And if I can hear, say, four birds on a farm, we try not to kill but two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I try to about half, third, something like that, depending on how many numbers there are, is what I'm comfortable taking. And I won't take no more than that. I don't, yeah. I don't think that you should. I mean, that's my opinion. Somebody may want to kill them all and we'll power to you if you got enough tags to have it. I just don't I don't feel like that's good to take, take all the seed. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, Mike, we were just talking about that in the first segment of the show, weren't we? Uh, yeah, exactly that. And, and the fact that there are some hunters out there that, uh, you know, are allowed to take five birds, and they take five birds regardless of how many birds they actually hear. So uh, I think uh, Thomas is doing it the right way. Guys, we need to wrap it up. Yes, sir. Thomas, I'm going to let you close the show. When your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. Okay, Thanks, everybody, for listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and Friends. And if you enjoyed this podcast, again, make sure you leave us a uh, five-star review, leave your name in the review, and we'll get a hold of you for a next winning drawing. Yeah, we're going to give away something from Buck Grits or one of our partners. Apex, probably. Take care, folks. See y'all.